From multiple location-based places in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Dana Ware, creative director and designer of VR games, to discuss designing for VR. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. How'd I do, Mark? Um, you listeners can confirm you nailed the timing on that intro perfectly. Oh, that's amazing. Even though you didn't have it in your ear. Now, listeners know we've, we've been recording in person for the past couple of weeks now that we've been able to, um, but you know, we still get guests from far and wide. And so we're doing it remotely again for this reason. Uh, so why don't we introduce our guest, Dana? Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. We're really glad to have you. Um, now tell us a little bit about your background before we get into the, the the deep dive on this topic? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am originally from Los Angeles, uh, kind of grew up around uh, entertainment and media and visual medias, uh, started in photography and film, went to UCLA, sh- shot and worked on a bunch of different sets. And um, then I decided, you know, I really, I really like VR. I really love immersive technology. Had done some stuff in museums and different types of exhibitions that had interactive components to them. So like installation pieces and things like that. But um, really wanted to dive into VR. So I, I went, I had gone to Sundance and I saw my first like real VR experience. It was the first year that they had VR at the film festival and it blew my mind. I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. I love, I love the the feel of being immersed in the presence that's here within this space. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to go try to make some, I tried to make some and I was like, whoa, there's a learning curve. This is like intense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to school, get two master's degrees, uh, learn game development and uh, take all the skills I've had for the last like you know, 10 years making films and, and photography and media and mash them all together to come up with like a VR education for myself and, um, and did that and kind of have been making VR for, uh, several years now. I think it's been like what, almost seven or eight years at this point, <laughs> something like that, uh, that I've been making it and, uh, I love it. I had moved to Utah and, uh, was working at the void, which is a location based VR, uh, company. And so I got to work on a ton of different projects there and learn a ton about location based, uh, entertainment and, um, and yeah, just like really fell in love with that and, and got to creative design and creative direct projects, um, for, for, well, last little bit. It's been a while now, but unfortunately they had to close because of COVID. And now I'm at a studio in Canada called Dark Slope Studios and working on location-based and at-home entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people caught the VR wave in 2016 or thereabouts. And um, But I think people's imaginations for it were like, oh yeah, it's the thing you put on your head and you know in your living room. Um, and then like, oh yeah, I've heard that they can, you can do it at places or installations or whatever, but sort of, uh, w- just define location-based entertainment, uh, VR, because I think that's something that people sort of know exists, but don't really know the shape of it. Yeah. So, um, LBE VR, uh, can take a few different types of forms. So it can either be maybe at a museum, like what you were saying, and it's an installation piece. It, it's part of some type of uh, set kind of fixed location, um, maybe because there's some props that are at that museum specifically, or it's talking about something uh, like theater performances can sometimes have like VR incorporated into them. So it's really kind of this one location sometimes or with th- this one kind of set. Um, but then there's the other type of LBE VR where you have like a stage where you have these stages and and they're kind of potentially like a turnkey solution or a standalone Mm -hmm. stage that someone either can purchase or that companies own like the void. We owned a bunch of different stages all around the world. And those were inside of different like malls or um, pop-up places. And those stages were specifically designed 
to give you kind of like this immersive experience. So they had stage effects, like sensory effects on them as well. So really kind Mm. of like crafted to be a certain type of experience. Um, And so you can get some some that are like that. And then you have other LBE experiences uh, that are VR that are these kind of smaller units that you can purchase and put into like, for example, um, into like an arcade or you can put them into a family fun center um, and they're kind of smaller. So they're all LBE. All of those examples are LBE, uh, but they all kind of take on their own unique forms. That's interesting that that wow. that smaller sort of scaled version of it. I of course that should exist, but it never occurred to me that you could, it, you know it, it always felt to me like uh, one off or real big facility. I never imagined an in between uh, thing. That's cool. There's there's a few different like examples of that. So um, like Dave and Buster's has a, a VR simulator uh, in their location. So so that's like a. a you know, family fun center, Dave and Buster's that has their own kind of in in between, you know, scenario where it's, it's not like a huge warehouse. It doesn't need like this massive space, like a museum or anything like that. And it doesn't have like a a huge footprint, like, like the void was a much larger footprint um, of a stage development. So it's kind of, it's, it's more compact and uh, it can live in these spaces that are a little bit more unique. Hmm. I love the pop-up idea. Yeah, and that makes sense for that audience too, Dave and Buster's, because like it's like a, have that kind of, that kind of a smaller experience. That's cool. It's a s- experience or a set of experiences. It's an option among many that you can choose from, and you can. Right. It's not the only focus of what you're doing there, but yeah, that that's interesting. Also makes me realize it's been a really long time since I've gone to something like that. <laughs> yeah, it has. Huh. Um, a lot of a lot of those places are kind of opening back up again. So you see a lot of these like LBE places um, starting to see business and uh, have been for the last few months, actually, um, in the United States, at least. But uh, yeah, it, and sometimes it's like some some people's first entry into VR, you know, so they're mm. out of Dave and Buster's and they're like, oh, I've never done VR and I'm going to hop on this thing. And, and they, they try it for the first time, you know, and and, and so that's kind of fun, too, and, and magical to see how people have their first um, kind of uh, interfaces with VR. And so LBE can actually provide opportunities to, to be someone's first entry point or touch point to VR, which is exciting. What kind of accommodations do you need to make for that audience? Because I think that's the one thing about VR that like it's, you know, uh, early adopters and then general public. But like that's a, it's a messier road than that, right? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because a, a lot of like the design choices and you know creative directing choices that I make um, have that in mind constantly. It's like who who's the audience, right? Like who's the core audience? But then also remi- reminding ourselves of like where do these experiences live, and if they're living in spaces where the whole family is probably going to participate. And they're probably all going to participate mm-hmm. together. And that's what I want. Like, I want the whole family to go in together. I want it to be, you know, the, the, the littles all the way to like, you know, the, the more elders. Like, I, I want everyone to go in together to have this like very um, community centered, uh, uh, you know, co-op play scenario. Like that, that's the stuff that I, I love to see. I, I love seeing di- different generations in the same play space together playing and, and engaging in these virtual spaces together. And so it's how do you design so that everyone can get something out of this experience so that everyone has mm-hmm. an opportunity um, to engage and be, be, feel like they have value in that space together if they're doing some type of co-op play or something as well. It's also um, a big, a big pillar for myself, you know. How, how, how do you do it? <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. yeah. Steven, that's too big a question. It's a big one. It is a really big question, sorry. It's a huge question, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, where do you start, right? We got it all nailed. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that by any sense of the word either. It's, but, but I have been able to really, um, you know, be able to create some stuff and, and work on projects where the, the focus really is, like, how accessible is this? this mechanic, how accessible is, is this story? How accessible is this a UX that we're developing or the UI that we're developing to go along with a, a certain type of like interaction or engagement or, or, or frankly, just like moving you through the physical space. Like, ha- like how accessible is this thing that I'm asking you to do? 
um, starts to become the question. And, uh, you know, the obvious kind of way of setting a metric for some of that stuff, which we talk about all the time in game development is player testing, like testing things out and making sure that people can um, perform the function that you're trying to ask them to do. Uh, Is it, does it feel like it's been mapped correctly? Does it feel like the heuristics are hitting correctly and and evaluating behavior within that space, you know, is, is a big part of it. Um, Because you can have assumptions that are just completely off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. The message comes through again, Stephen. Test your games. (laughs) Test your games. (laughs) It's probably like, you know, the the common answer that most people always hear is like, oh, you got to play your test. And I I really do highly believe in player testing. Um, But yes, some of the the methods of, of doing that, I feel like, for location based, it gets kind of complicated because you usually have specialized equipment, right? I can't just like send you a bill mm-hmm. and be like, okay, go, go do, do the thing and then tell me how it went for you or like do some type of like recording so I can like see what, how, you know, you functioned. It, it's not like that easy. You, you really need to get people physically into the space. And um, one of my favorite things that I used to do at the void was I would sit, there was like this like one little nook on the stage where you, You'd have to like hop up on top of this thing to get on top of it. <laughs> and I, I would sit there, you know, I'd sit up the, in this, in this little spot, this little nook and uh, be able to see the entire stage from that, that view. I would just, oh, cool. I was still on stage, but I could see everything. Yeah. It was kind of a fun, fun little spot to, to hang out in. And I would just sit there and I would just watch people and just watch how they were engaging with the space. And because I knew the experience virtually well enough and we recorded a lot of the run throughs you know, too, uh, so that we had the HMD feed to reference after. Um, but we would, we would just be able to see like what, how people were engaging and like the chatter that would happen on stage too, between the groups of people and just kind of being able to hear how they were socially engaging with each other in these spaces and like how much are they socially engaging and what type of things are they talking about? was all something that like really piqued my interest because like I, I wanted them to, you know, sometimes like it was like, Oh, there, there's a, a, a clue that's telling me I need to push this further so that they'll talk to each other more. Right. And, and so you, you, you kind of get sensitive to uh, looking for some of those like clues while they're going through the space. Um, and w- one of my favorite examples of like Jumanji, which was a, a VR experience uh, where we put people into like the, the jungles of Jumanji. And at one point in the experience, like you came across a lion's den, you had to be like really secretive and walk through this lion's den um, without trying to wake up the, the lions or else, you know, you, you would get, you might lose a life and uh, you throw a group in there and the lion would ask you like, give me a good reason for why I shouldn't eat you. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a funny, funny question. And, and people would look around at each other because there was only one person in the team that could actually hear the lion because um, that one person had that special ability to be able to, to talk and to, to hear animals. And so uh, that person would hear it and they would kind of, sometimes they would, wouldn't say anything. They would just kind of like stand there and look at the friends you know, and then, then they finally would realize, like, I'm the only person that heard this lion ask this question. <laughs> and they would come up with their answers. And um, it was always kind of funny. Like, you you get the random, most random answers. Like, you don't want to eat me because I taste bad. Or you eat him. <laughs> He's the skinny one. You know, like, you eat him. Or, like, push their friend forward. And it's like those type of, like, yeah. moments. You're like, I like this is the stuff that's fun. You know, this is the stuff that's, like, making all these people engage in conversation with each other or like, I just ate garlic. You don't want to eat me, eat him. Like, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. There's like, like random little moments and, and tapping into like, how did, how did we, you know, how do we cultivate that more and more throughout this space was always my question. That It's interesting. You bring up that as an example. Cause so it sounds like for that kind of interactivity that you, that requires folks on site to, it's not a, it's not a part of the software. Um, right. how much of that balance do you have between, um, escape room style sort of play acting with, with staff members versus how much of it needs to live in the, the simulated world? Oh, great question. Yeah. So, you know, that becomes something that I think 
as creators, you're, you're constantly trying to challenge, like, how does this become scalable, right? And mm-hmm. um, how do I make it so that these NPCs themselves uh, take on more of the work? And how do mm-hmm. we make it so that the software can be a little bit more um, AI driven so that it's doing a lot of that predictability so that we can cultivate some of those interactions um, and hand off some of that work to the software, which I think is what we're constantly trying to do in game development anyways, right? We're always trying to, like the meta humans is an attempt at trying to make things easier for developers, but also more realistic for players too, right? And so I think that we're constantly like challenging this notion of of how do we streamline some of these um, these like experiences so that they feel more realistic um, mm-hmm. and how, and for us, you know, as far as like stage development goes, like, how do I make this experience a little bit more consistent too becomes the question, because if the person, you know, s- some of the interactions that we had, like did require a person to be on stage and some, some of them didn't. Um, but the ones that did require a person to be on stage and help facilitate that interaction, you never knew if your consistency was always going to be there, right. If it was going to be reliable and consistent. Um, and and so there, there is kind of like that question of like, how can we streamline this so that it, it becomes a little bit more, uh, handled in the software as opposed to requiring a person on stage to do, um, that interaction, uh, just, just for our own consistency reasons to make sure that the quality control is there too, you know? Right. Right. And from a design perspective, do you start in a position where, well, we can have people on site so we can do a lot more mm-hmm. and then start to then start to take those interactions and try to uh, like hand it off as you're describing? Mm-hmm. Or do you think about those limitations and try not to get in too deep from the beginning? Because it could be very tempting, I think, to be like, oh, we could we have a whole script and we could have a whole thing that we, you know, and like, oh, but but, you know, that's going to be difficult to perform every night. Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. so. I think it's a combination of both of them, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. we because we didn't actually have like trained actors per se or anything like that. It was uh, legitimately the, your, your, uh, your guest services person who was like performing uh, these different types of uh, small interactions that we would ask them to do. And, Mm -hmm. and it, it usually was always something that we like would map out really clearly so that they, they could have clear guidance as to like, okay, this, in this section, like, you know, make sure that they can access this prop or something like that on stage. Um, so that, that type of thing. Uh, so it was, it wasn't like we were asking them to perform per se, like some, some other like theater experiences where it, it literally is an actor performing potentially in VR, um, so we, we didn't really have some of that necessarily, uh, but what we were doing was constantly evaluating how can we, uh, and, and luckily we had a lot of funding and budget to be able to do this, but it was how can we R&D this c- crazy cool idea that we have, right? Um, and I feel like with these emerging technologies, you're constantly R&Ding something out. You, you're constantly... Yeah pushing the hardware, you know, to see like what the limitations are. There's a, there's a new, new sensor out. Okay. Like let's get our hands on it and see what we can do with it. You know, kind of thing. Um, you're, you're constantly pushing that. And so, um, I feel like the, the R and D ends up influencing some of the design because you learn those limitations, but then vice versa, you know, you're, you're wanting a certain type of moment or interaction. And so you have to go figure out how to R and D it. And, and that's why, like, I feel like for myself, like I have a really uh, strong relationship with engineers that I work with because there has to be that give and take on both sides, you know, of what's, what's realistic. Uh, Cause sometimes you're just limited by the hardware in general or, or the software, you know, mm-hmm. funding and budget. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Imagine <laughs> I'm, I'm so jealous. <laughs> It's always like, it always goes back to the same principles, you know, it's like you, you, Mm -hmm. I think even in traditional game developments, like you always want to put in that last little feature that you, you know, you have on there (laughs) on on the list. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you have like the money to do it is always, you know, or the time to do it well. Well, we we always talk about prototyping and that being an important process to make sure you have time for that. But describing it as R&D, it 
just describing it that way really shows how important it is. Like you actually need to spend the time to do that research and development in a way that like, you know, we as game designers don't always have the luxury to do. And when we do, we scale it back as much as possible for efficiency's sake. Then, that's but very true. Then, then you literally can't. There's things you can't do if, if, if you know, mm-hmm. in, in those environments. So that's cool. It's good that that was something that was recognized early on. Oh, one hundred percent. I'm wondering if there, you know, because VR is such a, you know, it's a new field. Um, if there is some of that expectation just built into when someone hires a team to do a project, they they know there's going to be some R and D because there's always new stuff coming out, and that's the case for games as well. But because video games have been around for, you know, 30 years, there maybe is just less of that expectation up front, just kind of baked into the general project sponsor's psyche. Maybe I'm making some assumptions that aren't fair, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's totally fair because um, like I, I tend to always kind of remind, you know, a client or, or um, the team that like, Hey, there's this thing we're going to try to do. No one's really done it before, you know. <laughs> so we gotta we gotta kind of like make sure we cushion around this this like you know time frame or allow for the prototyping and iteration process to really happen um, with this particular whether it's a feature or, or a hardware thing that we're trying to, to trying to solve for. Uh, we, we really need to give it some time and like cushion to know that like we don't have all the answers. And uh, no one else does either. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. But the fact that we're willing to like go in and invest, you know, a certain amount of time to like try to see if we can solve that answer, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, solve the problem to get to the answer really becomes like for us, you know, a really a huge challenge, but also uh, what a rewarding opportunity too, that yeah. you figured it out, you know? Yeah. And I think for a lot of engineers, that becomes something that is really thrilling for them. You know, I mean, for us as, as you know, designers and creatives and directors, and, and it's exciting as well for us because you're like, oh, I finally, you know, I got to do that design thing I wanted. And I think for engineers, they're like, yeah. I got to solve this thing nobody else, like, has ever done before, you know? So it, <laughs> it can really, like, excite a team when you get to that conclusion together. Mm-hmm. I know I felt that excitement when I figured out a thing but i feel like most of the things i figured out other people figured out <laughs> my own way but sometimes that's part of the process you know oh 100 <laughs> i'm uh i'm curious about the um the, the the how you design like the narratives like the story of these games um like because one of the things i've had an issue with with vr is that like i don't feel as immersed in vr as other people have expressed it to me <laughs> um and i i think the the smoke and mirrors i guess the vr just don't work on me as well as other people um but like if it's a good i I imagine like if it was a good narrative then i could get more into it more get out of my head a little bit more about it um Hmm. i'm curious if there's like i'm sure there's a lot of thought involved in like the the narrative of of the game the the experiences you develop yeah i think like um well first of all i'm sorry that you (laughs) maybe went through some stuff that wasn't necessarily like the most ideal and there, like I, I always say this like there was a lot of early VR that was just bad it was just really bad you know and it and I mean that goes for all games yeah <laughs> right true. yeah it's true it's totally true and I, I sometimes I meet people and they're like oh that VR oh it made me so sick the first time back in you know like what six years ago I'm never going back in and I'm like no 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 you probably yeah. tried some really shitty VR like try it again I promise like here I'll put you in this thing that I know is like not gonna make you sick you know um so i know i know that there's a lot of stigma behind it sometimes but for me like i i like to really think about like who you are in that space like you yourself because you're you're bringing in like all of this like you know life experience with you as a person and you're going into this space and i um really love to figure out ways to make you feel like you're your agency and your choices really matter in that space um, that you are the one creating and developing the story around you, right? That things are unfolding because of you, not because of the fact that like I'm triggering all these things around you at a certain you know time or whatever. But but that you actually feel like you have presence within that space is really important to me. And so like 
um, looking at ways of, of making uh, the player feel like they can uh, move around the space and engage with the space in, in a more natural kind of way um, is something I also really like to look at and, and making it feel like you, the, you you're kind of um, your the story is revealing itself to you through your actions as opposed to me like just dumping a bunch of story onto you um, is usually a lot of the things that I like to look for. And and with that all said, and some, sometimes you you know you have a project or a client or an IP where you don't necessarily always get to do that, right? But um, but yeah. when you when you can infuse some of that into it, when you can make the player really feel like they are um, the center of that world, I think it has like a much stronger impact on people uh, when they feel like they can be this, the hero of that story. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I imagine like with VR a lot, it because everything is kind of centered around the player in that way, it makes a lot of sense for those narratives to be more player driven in, in, the, in that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's definitely like the difference, um, the way I like to think about it is like, and, and uh, that there's like, there's like the subjective and the objective kind of perspectives of it. And, and my uh, old boss at the void, uh, Curtis Hickman, he is awesome. I love the man. Um, and he would talk about this stuff all the time. And, and this was something that I really uh, was really grateful that I got to work with him for so long because it's you know, all of these like different kinds of like theories and concepts of like VR and immersion was really kind of like the, the forefront of what we talked about like every day. Every day we talk about this stuff because like we are nerds and we like VR and we like about talking, <laughs> talking about this stuff. Yeah, so we yeah. like philosophize about like all of these different like theories and ways of like bringing um, people into stories and, and how, how to tell these stories effectively. And so like, yeah, there, there's this like concept of like subjective and objective storytelling mechanisms, right? And, and it's been around forever. Like people have talked about this before, but we would talk about basically like, you know, there, there's a way of either like making you as the person feel like you have been uh, part of a story, like you're, 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 you're creating that story together, right? So for example, that, that moment where this team of people are together and like the lion is asking, why should I not eat you? Like you are creating your own story. That's unique to that one group, right? Like mm -hmm. our answer mm -hmm. right now is going to be different than the next group behind us and the group that was in front of us. And so we're creating our own experience and our own opportunity um, to, to develop a story on the spot. Like there's, there's play involved in that moment. There's a little bit of, um, you know, role playing in that moment of having to uh, come up with the right answers together and collectively and figure out like, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? You know, like, and then, and then give the answer. Yeah. So um, you almost get some of this like D and D kind of vibe going on too. Right. Where uh, anytime you play D and D it's always, you know, you always have like a different type of experience when you go and, and do a session because maybe the people are different or maybe the story is going, you know, it's never like quite always the same, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so like developing stories where you can have some opportunities like that and design um, experiences and moments to, to feel, cause we're just facilitating it, right? We're just giving you a chance to play. You could choose to be quiet and then the lion's going to eat you. But like, you can choose that. You know? <laughs> That's your choice. Um, but we're just facilitating these like opportunities for you to, to have your own experience, essentially. I'm trying to imagine what I would say to the lion. <laughs> <laughs> and right now, all I've come up with is, uh, uh, I feel like I'd be eaten. Sorry, we have to stop oh. the show now until Ellen comes up with a good answer. <laughs> oh... Um, uh, figure it out. We're gonna be here for a little while, <laughs> Steven. I believe in Ellen. Sorry. Don't <laughs> you heard it, listener? She said she'd been thinking about it for a no, while. No, 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 no. I, I got I this. Don't, I don't have. Oh, okay, okay. I would okay. just tell a lion that if they let me go, I'll come back with a burrito. There you go. <laughs> that's really good. That's that's right. That's right. That's perfect. That Worth probably would have gotten you not eaten. <laughs> you know what? I bet the player in that moment, as Ellen, I think, was just doing, is not just coming up with a good answer, but knowing that many people have gone through that experience. So there's a certain <laughs> kind of like wanting to come up with a unique answer, right? Mm -hmm, not yeah. just a good mm -hmm. one. Yeah. That's a cool feeling. Yeah.
It is. It, it also is one of these things where, you know, if you get a group of people together, it's like, I also want to entertain my friends, right? So uh, yeah. it's like a moment for you to have this opportunity to, to play with your friends too, which yeah. I, I think becomes really, it, it becomes unique. Yeah. So we are, we are the hosts of Nice Games Club. Wait, what? Us three. <laughs> okay. That's what I've yeah. heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, that wasn't... I didn't expect that to be confusing, Mark, so I'm oh. a little prone. <laughs> I mean, no one gave me a name tag, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're not the only people who are in Nice Games Club, right? Because Nice Games Club includes all of the listeners. So yes. if you're listening... You're part of Nice Games Club. True. Don't have a name tag for you, though. But that's okay, because we don't have name tags either. And that's what makes us all the same. That's all, all part of the club. We yeah. share in not having a name tag. We have no name tag. You just have to trust us that we're part of the Nice Games Club. There is a t-shirt, but that's not what we're supposed to be talking about in these next few minutes. No, no. NiceGames.club slash shirt, but never mind that right now. <laughs> no, forget that. Um, what there is... Also, and what we are supposed to be talking about is the Discord. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's this cool Discord we have. It's called Nice Games Club Chat. And if you are a member of Nice Games Club, which you are because you're listening, um, you can just hop in there and you can chat with other people who are listening. Um, the vibes tend to be when there's a new episode, there's a lot of fun discussion. And some of it's about the content of the episode. Usually it is. And uh, some of it's about the game related content of that episode. Um, and sometimes it's about making fun of us. <laughs> so it may be a little bit more than we'd like, but you know, it's 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 governed by the community. So wh- yes. what are we gonna do? We're just three exactly. of them. Um, right. I, my, I love when people bring up bring their own topics. They say this is a thing I've been thinking about. It, wh- who you know, it, regardless of whether it was we talked about it on the show or not, I think that's great because not only is it a nice games club in that we're all part of the club but everybody gets to contribute to what the club is chatting about. And that's what happens right. in our Discord channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think the the most memorable line or comment that was made since our last episode came out was that we maybe missed some puns. There were some unaddressed puns, which I was Lies, lies and slander. <laughs> <laughs> um, but prior to that, you know, we were talking about... It was like turn-based RPG stuff. Yeah. Um, we talked about, like, how to do that um, using coroutines. And y'all know I love coroutines, so mm-hmm. I involved myself in that conversation. If you love coroutines, come join the conversation. If you don't... Well, I think we, can, we need a better sales pitch than that. Yeah. <laughs> Puns are always welcome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Puns are always welcome. Basically, what, whatever you're interested in, uh, we're, we'd be glad to have you at nicegames.club slash discord. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's one of the unique features of, of this type of VR is it's the social aspect, right? We talk about making VR games that can be multiplayer because you could have some players on the couch playing on the TV and, you know, or you can have people playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, remotely or you have two headsets in a room, even though it's not easy to do. But this is just built into the format. Talk like talk a little bit about the advantages you have and then some of like the pitfalls, like people are going to bump into each other, right? It's the... Oh, there's like a, there's a lot to consider, right? Like what 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 don't we think of at first when when we imagine us uh, designing something like that? 
Yeah. So it's really interesting because like you're constantly trying to guess what the user might do, right? You're like, (laughs) okay, like I have all of these people together. What could potentially happen? And I, you know, safety is a big issue for, for when you're creating these um, experiences as well. And uh, I used to work on projects that had Disney involved and Disney is very, very uh, sensitive to safety concerns and things, which as they should be, right? Because like one incident out of like a hundred is, is a big deal for anything um, with that type of foot traffic that, that Disney gets. And so you're kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, right. if, if something could go wrong here, you kind of have to like play through it as you're designing it and, and make assumptions of like, okay, what is something that could go wrong? (laughs) And you start questioning, okay, if I have four people in this one space and I give them this prop, are they going to beat each other with it? Like, (laughs) like if I give them, you know, if I ask them to perform this action, are they going to jump on top of each other or like, you know, land uh, in a way where they're going to like hurt each other? Like, and, and especially because of the, the different type of like, um, rigs that they're wearing with the headgear and, and the, the for us, we had these vests with haptics and then a, a backpack as well that had the computer in it. And like, it, it's just a lot of gear, right? And so when you're smashing into somebody, you're smashing <laughs> in with a bunch of additional weight and plastic. Expense. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. and expense too. And yeah. so um, <laughs> yeah. you definitely like need to like consider that because you're like, okay, like I... I can't afford to like have people smash all of my sensors. So <laughs> we need to figure out a new way to design this thing, you know, <laughs> and come up um, with, with ways of separating people potentially from each other. Um, those are, those are a lot of different like safety things that we would do is figure out how to, to make sure that we directed this group of people this way. And then that group of people in a different way so that we could get some space between them physically. Um, because if I'm going to ask you to go, you know, beat up that NPC over there, I want to make sure that you're beating up an NPC. <laughs> right. Not your mom. Not your friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your grandma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feels so lifelike. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How'd they get that feeling of impact? Exactly. <laughs> Why does this NPC sound like my grandma? So flushy. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't want any of that happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there, those, are, those are the pitfalls. And I think there's, I mean, I, I imagine you've only scratched the surface of, of, what, oh, yeah. of what, what troubles you face. But what are the, what are the like, incre- advantages? There's got to be a ton or it, it, maybe it, as many. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many advantages. There's so many opportunities to be able to to let people kind of explore a space, right? And so it's nice to have. For example, I'll go back to the the Jumanji example I gave out earlier. But you have like four different players, and each one has their unique ability. And so each one of those players has something about uh, this co op play that you've put them into that's special and. Uh, requires them to engage in conversation with each other in order to solve some of these problems um, collectively together. And so uh, that those types of opportunities become something that that is really unique and fun because not only are we giving them opportunities for co-op play like like some other games potentially, but we're I'm asking you to physically do something. So like mm-hmm. if it's like I need you to physically pass this object to your friend because, your friend is hanging off the side of something and um, you need to get it to them, but you can't actually jump over to where they're at. You need, you need to just hand it over to them so that they can access, you know, the door or do whatever, whatever action you're asking them to do or fight, fight that villain with, with the object that you've given them. Um, There's physicality to that. And so uh, because you're in this, like this virtual space and because it's like, perceptive presence that people have make them feel as though everything around them is real and that they their life they literally think that their life is going to be threatened if they jump mm-hmm. off of this side of this thing to hand you this prop so they're mm-hmm. strategically figuring out how to like like lower down and crouch down and creepily get over towards you you know like the, the whole 
um, kind of uh, spatial, spatial awareness that becomes involved in that too, as you're working together in a team, uh, it, it really is unique to this type of uh, design and this type of opportunity of play uh, that I, I don't really feel that you get in other other spaces. And so um, there's something about that that I feel is really a, a unique affordance for this specific type of virtual entertainment that we have. Um, and and there, there's like a plethora of other, you know, opportunities that you get with, with having people uh, having to come up with answers together, having to, to solve these different types of physical uh, problems, like whether it's, it's like um, a, a floor that has different types of tiles on it and you have to like jump on the right tile, you know, and time it specifically or something like that. Uh, you start to share your answers with your friends because you want them to get across. You want, you, you, you start to become a little bit more. Um, it's, it's not that you're, you, you still bring that competitiveness with you because I think everyone has that innately kind of in them, this like sense of like wanting to achieve. Uh, but, but it does become more of a, like, how do we get through this together kind of opportunity because we're all yeah. in it together. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, I bet that would solve a lot of the problems that you've had with that feeling of immersion that you're sort of, you haven't quite got there because that, uh, it, just the example Danny were saying about like the ledge, right? I think there's yeah. that's the suspension of disbelief you have to do for VR it, you know, it becomes a social contract you have with the people you're yeah. playing with. Yeah. So it, yeah. it enforces yeah. it. Like, you know, it's not real. Mm -hmm. You know that your senses are being fooled, yeah. but you're less likely to kind of just be like, okay, okay. I, I got, I, I sort of buy it, but don't really buy it. But if you're there with friends, yes, then you all, you all agree to buy it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that can go a long way. I bet. Yeah. No, I totally agree. That, yeah. that social contract becomes something that's really like, it, it, it has more value to it. It has more substance to it. Um, so there's, there's an example of like, I have, I have a friend and he, he's like fantastic. Um, and he, he's actually a film professor and he's, he's just great. And, uh, he's always kind of like, you know, I know that you're like into VR. I just like, you know, I'm kind of, I don't know. And I was like, Hey, you know, there, we happen to be in Minneapolis. Uh, and, and I was like at a conference together and I was like, Oh, uh, there's a void here. And, uh, cause we had just like opened one in Mall of America and I was like, there's a void here. Do you guys, uh, do you guys want to go to, he was like, yeah, you know, I'll go, I'll go. I, so, you know, but you're not going to get upset if I don't like it. Right. And I was like, no, it's cool. It's cool, dude. Whatever. It's fine. Just come. Meanwhile, you have no doubt he's going to love it. I'm like, yeah. I freaking love this. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, it's cool. I get it. I totally get it. Just come, just come. He's like, Okay, okay. And like, we all take the trip out to, you know, the Mall of America, find, find the location. There's a pack of us. And I'm like, uh, you, you guys like Star Wars? He's like, yeah, I like Star Wars. I like Star Wars. I was like, okay, cool. So I put them all into Star Wars, you know, and um, they all go, they all go through uh, the Star Wars experience. And he comes out and I didn't go in with their group because there was too many of us. So we like split in, into different groups. He comes out and he's just like sweating. <laughs> just like drenched like his shirt is like another color at this point now because he's just <laughs> dripping with sweat and he was like oh my gosh that was amazing and he's just like freaking out he's like i was a stormtrooper like i was a legit stormtrooper and then there was like darth vader i got like on the ground and i was like shooting at everybody i was going crazy he's like that was amazing you know and he was just had this like this joy on his face. He's just like, I, you know, I like Star Wars and I have since I was a kid, but man, that was just like on a whole different level. He just like <laughs> couldn't believe it, you know? And, and that was again, for me, one of those reaffirming like moments where I'm like, yeah, you can bring magic into people's lives. You can get them to play like they would when they were kids mm -hmm. and, and let go a little bit of that, that sense of, you know, uh, shyness or sense sense of adulthood where you're like i can't i'm not allowed to do this anymore yeah i'm not allowed to role play anymore um you can get them to shed some of that if you can truly immerse them into that space dang that's beautiful <laughs> i love that <laughs> uh that's i mean that's why we make games isn't it that's the reasons totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I, uh, you're, you, the, the experience you just brought up here reminds me of like, um, like VR over like pandemic stuff. Cause a lot of like, if you had 
a headset. Mm -hmm. Um, you had a lot of time to use VR (laughs) in the moment. Um, and so I imagine a lot of people probably explored a lot more VR games as a result of that. Um, did you find that like, I suppose, I guess, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious the experience of VR in, in, in the, in the, in the pandemic space Mm -hmm. way to phrase that, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. So for me, like, uh, pretty, you know, pretty early on in the pandemic, uh, the quest quest two came out. So Facebook released a a new headset Mm -hmm. And you know, they're okay. like, oh, the graphics are going to be great, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, I want one. You know, obviously I want one. So <laughs> I like, what yeah. am I? It, like, and it gets here. And like with with it, like um, I actually got access to Horizons, which is a um, social kind of community in Facebook. And okay. and like I, I, I think at the time, you know, I'd already been in quarantine for a little bit by this point. And so I was kind of like lacking social interactions, um, kind of missing just being around people and stuff like that. Uh, just like everyone else at that point in life, you know, we were yeah. all kind of feeling a yeah. little isolated, you know? <laughs> yeah. And really, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, like I, I, you know, I don't do a whole ton of, uh, uh, of going into rec room or, or some of the other ones. I, I do a little bit, but like not a ton. And I, I think it's, it's, probably just sometimes I haven't had like the best interactions in there. Um, And so I was like, okay, like I'm going to, I'll try this new one out, you know, I'll try it out and see how it goes. And I I jumped into horizons and, um, and I started meeting these like people. I started making friends and it was kind of awkward a little bit at first. Cause you're like, this is an, a new way for me to socially engage that I haven't. And like you, you physically are an avatar, right? And so like, if I go mm-hmm. up to you and I try to touch your face, like it really feels like someone's invading your space. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and um, <laughs> Ellen's swinging at the camera right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a little personal, you know, like it, it really does. And, and so I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Like this, like you really feel like you are a person and that is someone else. Like it's not just an avatar. Like that is somebody else. And, uh, and yeah. unfortunately, as a woman, sometimes like going into some of these virtual spaces, like you can get harassed, you know, and uh, you can have yeah. people do like vulgar things to you or whatever. And so I was a little hesitant doing doing this. And um, mm-hmm. but I went in and, and Facebook is, you know, it's, it's really kind of like locked down. They've got a lot of like safety things uh, set up for you to to protect yourself. And. Um, I started like, engaging with these people and uh, and you can build worlds. So you, you can like actually like put together like your own creations and things like that. And oh. uh, so one of the first things I did was it was, uh, you know, around the time of uh, Dia de los Muertos and I'm, I'm Latina and I every year would make a altar for my grandparents. And I usually would do it at like some type of like community space. So whether it was like a museum or a cemetery, um, or some type of like event or something like that. Like I, that's kind of, I've done this for a few years. Um, I'll usually make some type of community piece altar that other people can like engage with. Um, and, and that's actually like some of my like interactive art that I had done pre pre VR was sometimes this, like I, I would do it sometimes, um, as part of these like pieces that I would do for, uh, the day of the dead. And, um, and I, I was really kind of just sad, a little, a little like bummed out that I like didn't have a way to do that mm. that year, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and death, like for me was like such a, like a huge kind of, it was that glooming thing in my life too. Cause it's like COVID and we're talking about like fear and all this kind of stuff. Right. And I was just like, I really feel like I need to do this this year somehow. And I don't know how I can do it for a community. And, and so I had this tool sitting in front of me and I was like, well, I'm going to use it. Like, I'm going to try to make an altar and like a community space to honor my grandparents, like in VR. And so that's like what I did. I like made this world that was for my grandparents and had a lot of like, it has like some like LA vibes to it. It has like a lot of Latino kind of, um, cultural symbol symbolic like references in it and stuff like that. But it, it like very much is this like safe space. And for me to make it, it, it almost like has, whenever I go into that world, um, 
it, it feels like it has their spirit in it. And I've had other people tell yeah. me that, like, it's got like that sense of them in there. And, um, yeah. and it was, became really beautiful. And I started meeting people in, in that space. And, um, and I have like some really good friends now from like this like virtual space yeah. where I've, I've had these like very intimate conversations with them or have like had these moments where I'm really like sad or something. And they like give me these like virtual hugs. And I like, you know, that like you can, you can feel that other person and it like re-energized mm-hmm. my appreciation for this format and um, for how uh, these kinds of virtual spaces can bring people together and build community. And it's a community that looks different than maybe the one when you step outside your door, but it's a community and it, Mm -hmm. and it has like its own, it has its own culture and its own sense of space and its own sense of like being within there. And so like Mm -hmm. I've I've held hands with friends before and it's like, Oh, I miss you so much. You know, (laughs) like these like moments. Um, and and they can be really tender. That's, uh, I mean, I just got so many, so many positive thoughts that came up from what you just described. Like, first of all, it totally makes sense that that would be like an extra powerful kind of experience in VRs. I've, you know, made friends over Discord and people get together regularly and in voice chat and video chat. But there is that sense of like sharing a space that I feel is so integral to um, the feeling of community. And all, a lot of the people that I regularly interact with on Discord are one people who have, I've been able to share physical spaces with in the past. Um, and even, even now, like here we are, we've been able to go and spend time in person with other people for the last few months. Like it, that, that experience of not having that for so many months and then being able to do it again, just emphasized how, how powerful that element is um and so it makes sense to me that vr like doing that kind of thing in vr would be especially powerful and now i want to go do it um the other thing that it kind of made me think about is just like okay there are lots of reasons to not like humanity (laughs) in general Yeah. yeah um but there are just so many ways that people find to like connect with each other and this is this is another one and just the fact that like you just put put something that allows for interaction in front of a bunch of different people and they'll find a way to interact with each other in negative ways yes but probably mostly in positive ways and that gives me some hope yeah 100% and i think it's also like as a designer it's like how are you creating and designing and facilitating those spaces for them right yeah. Like, what are right, you encouraging right. yeah. in that space? It becomes a question. So that's something that I constantly am thinking about. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to do some Googling for local VR places <laughs> um, because my anniversary is coming up and my first plan fell through. So I'm looking for a backup plan and now I'm really excited <laughs> because I have a really great idea. So I'll, I'll report back. I'll let you know what we end up doing and how it goes. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What 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 is next for VR? Like, what's the next steps? What where can we see? What do you see VR in five years? Uh, yeah, in five years, that's question. an interesting that's, question. It's <laughs> a huge one. Well, there's so there's so many ingredients, right? Like, there's there's yeah. like you know, coming out of the pandemic, there's you know the potential return of a of a market for location based mm-hmm. uh, experiences. There's all those advantages that you were just outlining about uh, being able to make connections when you can't yeah. otherwise. Mm-hmm. But now, and I say now, but you know, pandemic's not over yet. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what do we can we do? We can we take some of that with us? Can it add to our social uh, toolbox instead of just replace something that's been missing? You know, yeah. In those five years, how much of that will be mixed in? And it is a big question. It's a huge question. Yeah, I mean, I. I think that like, because of the pandemic, we've been able to kind of create and, and make stuff that wasn't, you know, hasn't been released to market yet. And um, so I, I think that some of the VR that's going to be coming out, you know, post pandemic uh, is going to be probably really good because we've been mm-hmm. able to like finesse it and take a lot of these findings and like kind of, um, just just make it good so i'm that's my hope is that like we have been able to kind of 
you know, focus in on, on making, making some good stuff. Um, but then also taking some of these like learnings that we have from the at home experiences and, uh, some, some of these like connection, being able to build connections with people, being able to like push the presence even further within those virtual spaces. Um, but then also like, you know, half I Alex, like really (laughs) set the bar for, for, uh, what VR can be and what it can do during the pandemic. A lot of people engaged in, um, in that virtual space, like during the pandemic. And so I, I think that a lot of people have been, uh, turned on to VR since, uh, since the pandemic. And so the expectation that, that consumers have is actually going to be higher probably than it has been in the past, which it should be right. Like we, we need to keep pushing the medium forward and we need to keep, uh, figuring out how, how to make this, uh, even better and even more immersive for people. Um, but like, as, as far as like in five years, like I kind of wonder, I know there's some experimentations being done with um, looking at like neural interfacing and like how we like use that as a component within a virtual um, space is something that I'm like really interested in seeing how that uh, continues to evolve and, and being able to, there's like some devices that are already uh, being manufactured where you, you can plug them into like they sit on the back of the headset and they, they sit on your head and, and you can start to control these virtual spaces with your mind, you know, with, with, with your, um, your brain waves. And it, I think that that's a, a really interesting kind of uh, progression of the technology. And I'm excited to see where that goes and like how like some of that brain stimulation um, can kind of push the way that we think about like UI and UX and, and, and interaction because I feel like a lot of times we take some of like the old theories of like traditional games, um, especially when it comes to like UI and then like we try to like, like smash it into VR and we're like, here, everyone knows this already. So we'll just use it again here. And it's like, well, I don't really think that it like is using the correct like mapping or affordances of this space. And so like, yeah. how do we look at it as its own technology and its own thing? Like it's independent of um, its historical roots it, it is its own thing. And like, how do we design for this particular space um, and, and make it feel like it belongs and it's evolved from this space, not from it, it being inspired by and influenced by is totally fine. But like uh, having it be its own kind of evolution is important too. Yeah. yeah. It's got its own family tree and the taxonomy of game life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm of the opinion that um, game design in VR has been helped by some of its limitations. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also been a huge benefit of all the the leaps of the past few years. Um, And so uh, uh, those two things kind of sometimes maybe they could fight each other. Like how how important is it that the technology keeps making leaps um, versus how important is it that adoption picks up and design thinking progresses? Like, uh, do they need to work, go in tandem? D- does one need to be ahead of the other for them both to work? I'm not sure what question I'm asking exactly. but It's a big question, though. Like, what you just asked is, like, a huge deal, right? Because I think that, like, there's different pieces of each one of those questions that have their own kind of, like, subcategory of issues, right? And so, like, for example, like, adoption is a problem, right? That's, that's something that we face um, in the industry is just, like, how do we get people into these headsets? How do we have them participate and have that magical moment where they like see the importance or, or, or have an experience that's very unique to them? Like, how do we like, first of all, just get the headset on them. Like, how do we do that is always a question. And it's like, I can't, I can't get you to understand how cool all the stuff inside the box is unless you go in the box. Right. I got to get mm-hmm. you in the box for you to like right. participate. And so if that's if, if that's like a hurdle that we have, then then we acknowledge that and we figure out how to solve for that. Um, but the, but you know there is another hurdle that we've had for for many years, which has been the hardware and the hardware um, maybe being part of the reason why it's not accessible for people. So like if the only way that I can participate in this virtual space with this you know um, head mounted display is to have this like computer that can also run these like intense games, right? Like if I need this like specced out PC, 
uh, which you know most people don't have, then that's already going to cut down like the amount of people that are going to be able to participate, right? And um, and so Facebook has really pushed, and a lot a lot of other companies have pushed to to have these like standalone headsets, right? And so uh, that is pushing the medium forward, and that's helping people to have this early adoption kind of um, within the space. So, so we definitely need that to continue. We definitely need the sensors to get better. We definitely need um, the battery life on the packs to get better. You know, like all of these like hardware issues that we come across and, and frankly, like figuring out the ergonomics of the headset, right? Like, yeah, it's a yes. that thing. Like, especially like I have a little head, you know, it's so. Yeah. <laughs> also, three quarters of this conversation have giant eyeglasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, these these are all like legit issues that people, when they're coming in to engage with this hardware, they're like, I don't know. It doesn't look comfortable. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to fit me. You know, like, how do you convince someone to purchase something that they, they just don't think that they um, have a need for? Right. And so how do I get you in there? And how do I help you understand that this is really cool? And this is going to like actually change the way that you engage with media, people, your, your potentially your families like this. This is going to change a lot of that stuff. Um, so how do I convince you to do that? But at the same time, like how, how do we get the price point down so that people can access it? Right. So it's a lot of chicken and egg scenarios. I feel like constantly um, trying to solve for everything at the same time is really complicated in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of things. I mean, a lot of things go into, um, like you were saying, a lot of things go into VR that make it so, <laughs> so ridiculously complex for me that I, <laughs> I'm a little glad I'm not doing VR things. <laughs> but <laughs> no, that's fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like it's it's really like I I I I I appreciate how you're describing it too because like you know pushing the medium for it and making sure that it is its own thing and taking influences from video games and other form of media is good but like it is clear that vr is its own thing and it should be treated as its own thing yeah and not just a another video game um i think that's good think and that's the other challenge important. to adoption like steven you're saying you're you're glad you don't work with it because you've got enough on your plate and it's <laughs> kind of all-encompassing it's it's hard to mm -hmm. do vr and anything else as a game developer right. um right. maybe one day it won't be that difficult to be able to hop around um, because that, you know, cross pollinization, uh, it, amongst disciplines and people could, will move this forward too. Right. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely like, you know, I const I'm constantly using a lot of like my traditional game training and background every day. Right. As mm -hmm. I'm like making like VR and AR, like I'm constantly like referring back to that stuff because like, I mean, there's so much. Uh, research that's gone into understanding these theories and like the psychology of how people interact with things and play with things mm -hmm. and like why certain designs work and like the heuristics behind it. Like there's a lot of that stuff, right? Like all of that stuff is still very, very, right. very applicable in so mm -hmm. many ways. Um, human behavior is human behavior. <laughs> and like, so yeah. like having, right, yeah. having yeah. that understanding is like essential. Right. Um, so that stuff's really great. And, but, but then there is the, the flip side of like, well, but you can't do that in this virtual space, right? You can't do that yeah. because like it, it actually is going to cause, you know, different types of potential physical issues for people or um, it, the, the user experience is just not going to be adequate enough for people to want it engage this way. And so there's a lot of that kind of back and forth, like questioning and, and figuring out like, why, why is it this way? Um, and then digging deeper into like, how, how do we solve for that then? Right. And so I kind of like that though. Like, I'm kind of like, Ooh, I like being a detective and like being like, all right, like, what's the issue? Like, what do we have? Like, what, yeah. what are we trying to solve yeah. for today? You know, kind of thing. Um, and then coming up with these hy hypotheses of like, how are we going to solve this thing? And, and then testing it out and then figuring out like, did it work? <laughs> you know, it's always like the question, <laughs> did it actually work? Um, but yeah, I mean, because it's such like a immersive space, it's like you, you have to be able to be flexible and you have to be willing to like right. take, take some of that historical information and then um, figure out how, how to piece it apart and take what the best from it, you know? Yeah. Well, and in the same vein, like all of the all of the learnings that you get from VR, like 
video games separate from that can use that information and like we can just keep pushing each other forward yeah yeah 100 um, percent. i yeah. mean because it, it's very much a video game you know at the end of the day it, it is a video game you're right. using the game engines and it yeah, is yeah. like 100 percent. so yeah it, it is interesting because it's like is there like ways that we like are designing or telling stories in vr that like should, should we try to like infuse some of that into you know a traditional game and see how that stuff goes too you know it's, it's it becomes this kind of like how are we engaging in these spaces and like what, yeah, what can we learn and borrow from each other? And, and um, as we're pushing things forward, you know, on both sides. Okay. So Dana, where can people follow you if they want updates on your work? Yeah. Um, so on Twitter, I am at VR underscore specialist. And um, my website is Dana faith um and you can also find me on linkedin get connected in the non-vr space i'm sure that you can also get connected in the vr space but this is just the regular website stuff that is true (laughs) i do hang out in vr so if anyone wants to meet up there let me know that's our show check out our website nicegames.club for show notes and all those links we just talked about we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and getting components at any cost. I feel like that's a Mark story. Anyway, or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? Great. You can give us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. And I started laughing there a little bit because it's just a fun place to be. Lots of jokes. We're also on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Jokes everywhere. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I said make nice really weird this time. What was I doing? (laughs) And make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.